Welcome to True Paranormal, the podcast with your host, Leo Rizzuti. Every week we will explore such topics as ghosts, demons, poltergeist, haunted history, time shifts, cryptozoology, and other aspects of the paranormal through listener-submitted accounts, documentary studies, and interviews with the investigators that dedicate their lives to searching for proof of the unknown. So get a fresh cup of coffee, dim the lights, relax, and get ready for a short visit to the realm of the true paranormal. Hi guys, Leo Rizzuti here. Welcome to another episode of True Paranormal, the podcast. Since a lot of you guys were asking last week, yes, I am actually making maple syrup. That was not just a joke. My uh, father-in-law and my mother-in-law have a farm up in Thompson, Ohio, where the primary thing to do out there is either sit in the barn and drink beer or make maple syrup. So this year I decided to jump into making maple syrup and looks like we're going to have a pretty good year except for the fact that I only got about a quarter of the trees tapped that I was planning on tapping. So not going to be the waterfall of syrup that I had planned but still going to be a pretty good crop. At any rate you guys didn't listen to this podcast to hear me ramble about making maple syrup or anything like that. You guys came here to hear listener stories. So let's go ahead and jump right into those. Our first story this week comes from Ray, and he has titled it, My Aunt and Uncle's House. Okay, Ray, let's see what you sent us. In early 1986, my aunt and uncle moved from Queens to New Rochelle. They bought a fairly decent house, which needed a lot of fixing. For most of the summer, my parents and I went up on weekends to help out. When it was done, the fixer-upper had become a spectacular home. In December of that year, my aunt and uncle asked my mom to watch my cousins while they went to a company Christmas party. I tagged along, eager to spend a night staying up late and fooling around with my cousins. Around 2 a.m., I woke to hear the sounds of my aunt and uncle coming home. I heard someone moving around downstairs and then began to come up the steps. So I got out of bed and went to greet them. Of course, there was no one there. No one on the steps and no one else in the house. I quickly returned to my room. A little while later, I began to hear sounds coming from the attic. Again, it sounded like footsteps. After a while of being frightened out of my mind, they went away. The next morning, when I discovered my aunt and uncle had not gotten home until later in the morning, I told everyone what had happened. Naturally, they laughed and said that I dreamed it, that it was the product of my overactive imagination. After a while, I agreed with them and discarded the whole thing. About a month later, I was back at my cousin's house. My younger cousin and I were in the basement, playing with his video games. Not knowing why, I turned my head and looked behind me, just in time to see a white mist move around the corner. I very calmly put my joystick down and told my cousin to come upstairs with me. This time, I didn't tell anyone. Not too long after that, my mom told me she had spoken to my aunt. My little cousin had taken up a strange habit. For some reason, at around the same time every night, he had started going around the house making sure that the doors were locked and bolted. When asked why, he had no answer. 
After a few months, he stopped. Things quieted down until 1989, when my uncle proceeded to tell us he no longer doubted my ghost story. It seemed he was out in the backyard doing some gardening. My aunt and the kids had gone out for the day. He took a break for a moment and looked up to see a woman come around the side of the house, walk up the steps to the back door, and walk in. My uncle called out, thinking that it was a neighbor who didn't see him in the yard. He ran into the house after her and found no one. He stated there was no way the person could have gone out the back without coming back his way, and no way she could have gotten out the front, as the door was bolted shut from the inside. Since then, there hasn't been any other occurrences, and I've been to their house dozens of times. I often wonder if the presence of a new family and all the ruckus that was made when the house was being remodeled annoyed something in the house, and whatever it was decided to make itself known. Maybe after the family settled into its daily routine, whatever it was calmed down. I'm just waiting to see what happens when they remodel their kitchen. Wow, Ray, that is a really cool story. Uh, that is one thing that we have seen over and over and over again in the world of the paranormal is that when you move into a home and you start renovating, you start doing construction, you start changing things around, a lot of times activity will kick up. And that sounds exactly like what you experienced at your aunt and uncle's house. Really, really cool experiences. And thank you for sharing your story with us. Our next story comes from Alex, who entitled it, a lifetime of experiences. Okay, Alex, let's see what you sent us. I grew up for the most part in a tract house in Southern California. My great-grandparents moved into the house in 1956 or so, when my mother was still a toddler. In 1974, my great-grandfather was injured when a freight elevator door fell on him, paralyzing him. My great-grandmother told me he was very unhappy depending on her for everything and after teaching himself to walk, he sent her out of the house, walked to the closet, removed his shotgun, placed the end in his mouth, and pulled the trigger. He died in the doorway of the master bedroom. My first ghostly encounter happened when I was nine. I was asleep in my great-grandma's bed in the master bedroom. I woke up around two or three in the morning to hear her in the kitchen, puttering around. I looked up at the door to see a very distinct figure of a man peering around the doorframe at me. He was about six foot tall with white hair and clothing. He was so clear that I could see his fingers curled around the doorframe and the white part of his fingernails. I closed my eyes and slowly counted to ten. When I opened my eyes, the figure was gone. I thought I was dreaming and went back to sleep. The next night, I awoke about the same time to hear her in the kitchen washing dishes. It was then that I saw the figure in the doorway again. This time, however, he began to approach me. I closed my eyes, shaking, only to hear the floor squeaking like someone was crossing the room. It stopped at the side of my bed, and I felt a light brush against my cheek, like a kiss. I screamed and didn't stop screaming until great-grandma came running in. As she calmed me down, I related the story of the past two nights. She got up and removed a shoebox of pictures from the closet. She took out one picture and showed it to me. Is this who you saw? It was, right down to the clothing. 
I began to shake as she told me that it was my great-grandfather. The family thought that it was my imagination when she told them, until they realized I had never seen that picture or heard the story of his death before. It was later told he died in the spot that I saw him, one year before my birth. It was my great-grandma's firm belief that he had been sent back to protect me. As I got older, he began to affect things in the house to show his presence. Floors would squeak like someone was walking down the hall. Doors and cabinets would open and shut. Chairs would move. Objects would disappear and reappear in places you would never put them. But he was never seen by anyone in the family, except for me. I can remember one occasion he trapped my mother in the kitchen by moving chairs and cabinet doors in her way. I stood frozen in the living room and watched until my mother was in tears, crying out for him to stop and identified herself by his nickname for her. It stopped suddenly as if he realized who it was he had terrified. When I was 15, my great-grandmother got very ill and had to be taken to the hospital. I too was sick at the time with pneumonia and confined to a bed in the living room. My great-grandfather got more active then. You could hear him pacing the hall at all hours. He would do things he had done in life, like walk down the hall to use the bathroom. I'm probably the only person in the world whose ghost uses the toilet. Several times he walked out to check on me. I felt his presence as he came in and sat down on my bed. I felt the bed sink with his weight and reached out to feel the sunken area, but there was nothing there but cold. I looked up to see and hear Great Grandma's favorite music box begin to play on its own. It got to the point where you could see and hear his path through the house as the front door opened, then shut, and footsteps through the house to the back door, which opened and then shut. Everyone who saw this all agreed it was as if someone had walked in through and out of the house. For a week, we all lived in a state of anxiety. Then, the night great-grandma died, it stopped. I swear I could hear her voice in my head, berating him for scaring all of us. After that, he was very quiet, appearing only sporadically. I moved out two years ago, and apparently my great-grandfather came with me. When I told my mother, she insisted I search my apartment for something that I might have inadvertently brought from the house. There was nothing. While talking to my mother later on, she says that she thought that perhaps I'm the object that he has attached himself to. After I left home, he seemed to leave the house alone except for isolated incidents. But things happened in my apartment that I couldn't explain except that he was doing them. My keys disappeared and I found them in the freezer. My wallet would also disappear whenever I tried to leave the house, only to reappear behind the TV. Lately, he's even been taking to hiding my birth control pills, which we joke is his way of sending a message. But still, I was the only person to see him until last year. My husband, then my fiancé, got up in the middle of the night to get a drink of water. I woke up just in time to see him jump back from the bedroom door, and he turned to me. Holy shit, there's somebody in the living room. I got up with him to investigate and found no one. After he told me again exactly what he had seen, I told him who he had seen. If he didn't believe me before, he believes me now. Great-grandfather has even spooked, pardon the pun, my stepfather. 
I was there visiting and he was lying on the couch, watching TV. He turned to my mom and asked for a blanket, saying he was cold. My mom and I looked at each other since we had both said earlier how hot we were. I got up and ran my hand through the air about 18 inches above his body. It was much colder. I called my mom over and she also said that it was colder above him than the rest of the room. We asked him to sit up. He did, taking a seat on one end of the couch. As my mom and I stood there, we felt the cold spot move past us and center on the couch where he had been lying. I started laughing since how often does a ghost wait patiently for you to scoot over and let him sit down? He's been pretty quiet lately, but every so often I feel like he's here with me. But to this day, I will not sleep alone in that house. Wow, Alex, that is an absolutely amazing story. It sounds like, just as you said in your title, you have had a life full of experiences. think it's neat that your grandfather has stuck around, or your great-grandfather, rather, has stuck around and is showing you that he is not only there, but that he's keeping an eye on you. And it doesn't sound like there's any malevolence to it at all, except for the one incident where he trapped your mom in the kitchen, which... Of course, he didn't know that that was your mom until she gave him that special nickname that let him know who it was. Uh, I think it's really wild that your great-grandfather has not only moved from one location to the other, but has also kind of made it known in your life that he is an intelligent haunt, that he knows what's going on, and he's even sending you possibly little messages. You know, he might want some great-great-grandkids down the road, so... He's going to hide your birth control pills, as wild as that sounds. And yes, I've never heard of a ghost using the bathroom, but sounds like you've got one there. Again, thank you very much for sharing your story. That was absolutely awesome. Our last story of the night comes from David, and he has titled it Haunted Colorado. Okay, David, let's jump right into your story. In the summer of 2014, my cousins, Savannah, Taylor, and Caleb, along with me, my sister, and my aunt and uncle, went up to an old farmhouse to spend some time there, have fun, and not have to worry about anything. We had everything planned out that we were going to do and how we were going to do it, but we had never planned out the events that happened during the time that we were there at the farmhouse. We were supposed to stay at the house for two months. We only stayed there. For three weeks. The first day we went into the house, it was amazing. I remember thinking, this place is just like a palace. It's huge. The first day we never experienced anything much. I just remember feeling the presence of something maybe there, and every once in a while I would catch a smell of something like rotten meat. The first night we figured out sleeping arrangements with Savannah sleeping on the couch and me on the floor with a sleeping bag in front of the couch. Taylor was sleeping with a sleeping bag on the floor across the room. We were in the living room, so we were by the front door and by the basement staircase. My cousin Caleb said that he would sleep in the basement because there wasn't enough room in any of the other rooms. My aunt and uncle were sleeping in the upstairs bedroom, and so was my sister Jessica. Nothing happened the first night. We were not so lucky after that. The next day was spent exploring the fields and trying to figure out what to do for the rest of our time there. We went to bed early, hoping to get up early the next day. 
For some reason, I woke up in the middle of the night. I wasn't tired and I couldn't get back to sleep. I sat up and looked around the room. Suddenly, I smelled that same awful, rotted meat smell all around the room, and it got very, very cold. I didn't see anything, so I laid back down, hoping to get tired and fall back asleep. After a few minutes, I gave up. I couldn't get over that terrible smell, and I wasn't really tired at all. I sat back up and looked around again. The first thing my eyes were drawn to was down the hallway in the front door of the house. There I saw the figure of a man, about seven or eight feet tall, wearing a black robe, staring at the ground. I freaked out and dove back down, putting the covers over my head. I eventually worked up the courage to peek my eyes out of the covers to see if anything was there anymore. I looked and saw two dirty feet, standing about three feet from me, its toenails yellow and chipped. The figure started to talk, saying something in a language I have never even heard before. The voice was deep and threatening. I reached my hand out of the covers and grabbed Savannah's foot and started to shake it. I called Savannah's name over and over again. Each time I called her name, the voice would get deeper and more threatening. I finally got tired of it and screamed at the top of my lungs, Savannah, wake up! She woke up and the voice stopped. I yelled at her to turn the lights on. She got up and ran across the room to the light switch. She turned the lights on and I hopped out of the covers onto the couch, bawling because of how terrified I was. I looked around the room and nothing was there. Taylor was now awake looking at me as well as Savannah. I told them what had happened, but Savannah thought that I was just seeing things. That is, until the next day. The next day, we were going to a corn maze. Savannah went upstairs to go change her clothes, and right as she stepped onto the first step, she looked up and saw a full-body apparition of a woman. The woman was wearing modern-day clothes, staring at her from the top of the staircase. They stared at each other for about five seconds, then the figure walked back up the stairs, as if she was sleepwalking. She didn't go back upstairs after that. That night, my cousin Caleb was sleeping in the basement and went upstairs when Savannah, Taylor, and I were watching TV. He came up looking like he was shaking like a leaf. He told us that he was being touched by something and voices were saying things to him in a different language than he speaks. He told us that he had been calling our names. He told us that he had been calling our names at the top of his lungs, but we didn't hear a thing. He looked like he was about to cry. At that moment, everyone knew there was something wrong with this house. My aunt and uncle were never around at the time because they were always out. And even when they came home, they were usually drunk, so they never really experienced anything. But we did. My sister Jessica never experienced anything either until about five days after we had gotten there. Jessica was doing her makeup in a room because we were all going out to dinner to get away from the house. She looked down and then looked back up into the mirror and saw a black shadow of a man. She immediately looked behind her, but nothing was there. I would see things like a spoon or something flew across the room, or I would see a figure of something in the corner of my eye. Savannah experienced something else, too. She was making ramen soup in the microwave until, all of a sudden, the only two cabinets next to her swung open. Not slowly, but like someone had jerked it open and almost everything fell out of them. 
glasses broke everywhere and she ended up having to clean it up. The final night, my cousin Caleb got curious and made his own version of a Ouija board with paper and a marker. I told him I didn't want to play with it and that it was a bad idea. He went into the basement anyway and dimmed all the lights, sat down at a table and said, if there is anything in here, please reveal yourself. A split second later, the table levitated in the air and swept across the room, slamming into the wall. It didn't break, but it scared him really, really bad. He ran upstairs and said to us, we need to leave. If we spend another night here, I'm going to go crazy. So the next day, we packed up all of our stuff and left. I haven't gotten the whole story about what happened because my cousins won't tell me everything. But whatever was in that house didn't want us there. Oh my lord, David, that was an absolutely terrifying story. Uh, I would have lasted about three weeks there myself, and um, I have very rarely even heard about any kind of activity like you experienced there. I have heard of demons appearing, things like that, negative entities uh, appearing much taller or much shorter than a normal person, which sounds kind of like what you had there, but you had that combined with a voice that was in a language that you couldn't recognize. Uh, You also have the instance, and this does happen with negative entities a lot of times where only one person can witness it. And if they're in a room with multiple people, then for whatever reason, they are unable to wake those people up. I know in a couple of the demonic cases that I've studied, the Smurl case comes to mind instantly. There have been instances where a demon was attacking one person and the person right next to them in the bed had no idea what was going on and when they tried to wake that person up they just couldn't do it it's the kind of thing that we see a lot of times with negative attacks and it sounds like a little bit of what you experienced there uh ouija boards definitely as we've said before almost never in fact i'll go out in the limb and say pretty much never a good idea um you are very smart to tell your cousin that you didn't want to participate however he didn't listen to your advice and you saw what resulted from that. So usually not a good idea to play around with Ouija boards, whether they are ones that you buy from the store or ones that you have made yourself. In fact, I've actually heard people talk about how homemade Ouija boards are actually a little worse to play with because they're a personal conduit than a store-bought Ouija board. So kind of a double whammy for your cousin there. But good news is you guys got out and you're safe and sound and happy and you learn from that experience thank you very much for sharing your story with us that was awesome well guys that's going to do it for this week's episode of true paranormal the podcast i would like to thank alex and ray and david for sharing your stories with us you guys are rock stars and i really appreciate it if you would like to share your story with us just check us out on facebook at true paranormal the podcast and There's an email button there, and there's a send message button. Either one of those work. Just send us a message, and we'll be glad to share your story on one of our future broadcasts. Also, if you're listening to us on iTunes, be sure to give us a rating and a review. We'd love to get the feedback from you guys. If you have any questions or comments, wherever you listen to our podcast, or if you join us on Facebook, be sure to comment and let us know what you guys think. We'll be glad to answer any questions that you have, and get back to you as soon as possible 
In the meantime, my name is Leo Rizzuti. This has been True Paranormal, the podcast. I'd like to thank you guys for joining us this week and every week. And join us next week for another great episode of True Paranormal, the podcast. Bye.